Amen. Well, listen, if you would, open to Mark chapter 2. That's the scripture that we're going to be studying one uh, last Sunday morning. Mark chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. If you have your bulletin, you see there's a place for you to take notes. So I'm a notes guy. It just helps me to pay attention. If that helps you, then use it. If not, then you can just doodle on it as you want to. Uh, But also, if you'll notice that there's a new section that we just launched last week, there at the bottom of the notes, it says, do you have a question? Email it. And that's actually my email address. And so here's what we're doing. If you will email me a question based on the teaching from this morning, what we're doing every Monday at noon is we're going live on Facebook and we're answering questions that are actually submitted to us based on the teaching, because we know that as I teach and preach, it makes you ask questions and those are good questions and we want you to ask them and we want to be able to answer them. So if that's helpful for you, please take advantage of that. But Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let me give you one more second to find Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Here's what it says. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic man carried by four. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes were sitting there and they were questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that he had questioned them within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and he went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. Now I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to say it again and then we're going to look at the content of the teaching today, of the message today. But I want you to notice that the scribes never really said anything. They never really complained out loud. They just were complaining in their hearts. They had these questions in their hearts. And I want to encourage you by saying this to you. You may be here today with questions in your hearts. Now, it may not be something that you email to Pastor Zach so he can answer Facebook Live. And it may not be something that you're ready to articulate yet. But I want you to see in the scripture is that when Jesus was ministering to people and he was doing these amazing and miraculous and life-changing things, there were people who had questions in their hearts and Jesus understood them and he addressed them. And so maybe you're here today and the greatest thing that you could hear me say is that Jesus understands what's going on in your heart. And he is prepared to deal with the stuff that's going on in your heart. Isn't it true that we come to church sometimes with our smiles? And somebody says, how are you doing? You say, oh, I'm blessed. God's blessed me. And you have to answer like that, don't you feel like when you're at church? I'm so blessed. All the while you have all of these storms swirling in your soul and these questions in your heart. Listen, we're going to get to the content of the message, but I just want you to know this. Jesus knows what's going on in your heart, no matter what you're saying to people around you. And it's okay. 
He is ready to do business with your heart. And He's prepared to meet you right where you're at. And that's, that's the good news for me. That's good news for me. So this morning, the, the title of the message is Four Characteristics That Will Change Everything. And I really do mean change everything. Like that's not a, a, a preacher's tool of like overemphasizing something. You know that for the last three weeks and today being the fourth week, I've been challenging you to be a world changer. You know, because there's a couple of different types of people. There's the needy person that needs to be dropped in front of Jesus. And that may be you. And that's great. We would love to be the ones to drop you in front of Jesus this morning. But There's world changers. There's people out there, according to the scripture, that will pick people up and literally carry them to Jesus. And that's the vision that we've been casting for three weeks. Let's be a church of world changers. You have the people who are complaining. Then you have the people who are spectators who sit around and watch everything happen. We've been talking about being world changers. And this message is geared to show you in scripture the characteristics that it takes to go And be a world changer. But I also want to say a couple of more reasons that these four characteristics are so important. I understand that in a room like this, there's a diversity of people, specifically a diversity in age. We have a lot of young people here, still in high school, maybe in college, maybe in middle school. And you're thinking to yourself, who is it that I want to open myself up for so that they can mentor me? so that they can speak into my life. Who is it that I need to trust and I need to listen to? Listen, students, young people, write down these characteristics this morning. And when you're deciding who is it that I'm going to give permission to shape my life and mentor me, don't allow the person to shape you and mentor you if they don't have these four characteristics. Maybe this morning you're saying, what does it take to get closer to God? Maybe you're no longer a young person. Maybe you're what we call an experienced person. (laughs) And you're thinking to yourself today, I just want to get close to God. These four characteristics will help you do that. So I really do mean four characteristics that will change everything. Now here's the interesting thing, and then I'm going to share these with you. The interesting thing about these four characteristics is that not a one of them will you find literally written in the passage that we just looked at, the passage that we've been studying for four weeks. But I would argue this. They're all over the page. These are four characteristics that although they're not actually written in the words, they're all over these men who brought this man to paralytic. The first one is this. These men had a deep, deep conviction. And this morning, as you write down that that thought, they had a deep conviction. You actually see there's, there's actually three separate convictions that I want for you to see. The first conviction is this. They were convinced that this man needed help. And I got to tell you, until you can look out into the world and see a world that needs help, you're not going to be a world changer. You have to have eyes that look at the world through the filter of Scripture. You have to have eyes that can see the things that God sees. You, you have to see the, the paralytic man on the side of the road and say to yourself, that person needs help instead of, oh my gosh, ugh. <laughs> right? You know how we do sometimes when we see somebody that needs help? We have, we think, don't we? We think, oh, they need help. Oh, but they smell so awful. Or they look so bad. 
or they talk different than me. I'm thankful for your grace, by the way, on the talk different than me. (laughs) But isn't it true that sometimes we see the person in need and then we just automatically categorize them so that we can justify moving on? If you are going to be a world changer, you have to be convinced that the people around you need help. I was watching a... I was reading an article about a doctor who was watching the television. Some of you may have heard of this. I think it happened maybe last year or the year before. But there was a medical doctor just hanging out on his couch watching the television. And he was watching a contestant on some type of show. I think it was HDTV or something like that. Anyway, he sees the person. He immediately picks up his phone and he dials the station. And he says, listen, I'm a doctor... I specialize in throat cancer and you have a contestant on your television, on your network right now. And he didn't know when this was taped, but he said, I'm watching the program right now. The the contestant on your show has throat cancer. I can see it through the television. I know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, I use that illustration to make a point. This doctor was convinced that the person that he was looking at needed help. And so my question for us is, what will it take for me to spend my life going wherever it is that I'm going? To work, to the grocery store, to the gym, wherever it is that you go on a week-to-week basis, thinking in those categories, who needs help? Not who is in my way, not who is going to slow me down, but to live life the way that these world changers lived life. They were going to see Jesus and all of a sudden they stopped because they were convinced that the man needed help. They also were convinced that Jesus was the solution. So if you're making notes, that's B under the first point. They were deeply convicted. They were convicted that he needed help. And they were convicted, they were convinced that Jesus was the solution. Now here's the confusing part in our world. Because some of us say that our world is secular. Some of us say that our country is Christian. Some of us... We have all these different viewpoints, which sometimes makes it a little bit difficult. Because here's what will happen. You'll be interacting with somebody that needs help, right? You've identified that this person needs help. And, and you want to offer Jesus as the solution, but they don't really see Jesus as the solution. You know, there's a lot of people who think Jesus was an incredible guy. Somebody that you would invite to the Super Bowl. Somebody that you would hang out with on a regular day-to-day basis. Somebody that would be fun to work with in the cubicle because he does miracles and, you know, it breaks up the day and it makes things interesting, you know? What a really cool guy. But not the solution, right? We live around people with people who think Jesus was a wise teacher and said some cool things, some life-changing things, some things that we ought to put on a picture and hang on our wall but not the solution. We live around people who say Jesus may be a solution, but not the solution. Well, listen, if you're going to be a world changer in the kingdom of God, you have to be convinced that people need help and that Jesus truly is the solution. 
And I know that if you go to work or go to school, there's people who might say, how can it be that Jesus is the only way? Maybe you've been speaking to somebody and ministering to somebody and they've been asking that question. I just got to tell you, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. The the baby over here, right? (laughs) I'm glad for life. Amen. Aren't you glad that that baby is in this room right now? Praise God. But they say, how can Jesus be the only solution? Listen to me, friends. Let me answer that quickly and we'll move on. If Jesus isn't the only way to the Father, if He's not the only way to heaven, then God the Father is the most foolish being in the universe. To allow the Son to be crucified on the cross, to take the sins of the world, when there's another way, would be foolish. He only went to the cross because that was the only way to get to the Father. I understand that's a sermon for another time, but I just want to be clear that we have to be convinced that people need ministry and we have to be clear that Jesus is the solution. And here's the third conviction. These men were convinced that they had something to offer. They knew that they may not be able to solve his problems, but they could get him to somebody who could. I want you to hear me. You are not insignificant. You are a person that God can use to do incredible ministry. Maybe in your home. Maybe at your work. Maybe on your street. But please hear me. You can be used by God to do great things. These men had deep conviction that people needed help, that this man needed help, that Jesus was the solution, and that they could do something about it. If you're going to be a world changer, at your job, at your home, at your school, you have to live with conviction. The second thing that these men had is they had true compassion. Now, you can have all of the conviction in the world, but if you don't care about the people that you're around, conviction isn't moving you anywhere. It's compassion that compels us to minister. And so I just want to stop here and ask you to think about somebody in your life that really had compassion on you. Because I don't want it to be a theory that the preacher's talking about. I want you to feel this point. These men not only had conviction, but they had compassion. Now you hear compassion a lot. I realize that. There's organizations that have the word compassion. There's TV networks that talk about compassion. You may talk about compassion in your home or on your job. But I wonder if we're all thinking about the same definition of compassion. Now, I want to give you a definition and I'm going to just be honest with you. I made this up. I really did. And I'll tell you why. Because I didn't like the dictionary's definition. I don't know if I'm allowed to to debate the dictionary or not. Like I don't... 
know who's behind the dictionary, but I just find that the biblical idea of compassion leaves our dictionary uh, definitions wanting. Now, I'll tell you, here's my definition of compassion. And it's from studying the Word of God and looking at places where the word compassion is used in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And here's where I land. A sympathetic feeling towards someone that produces redemptive action. A sympathetic feeling towards someone that produces redemptive action. Now here's the definitions. If you go and look at dictionary.com or Webster, this is what they say. Something along the lines of a, a sad feeling... And this is what they say at the end, with a desire to alleviate the pain and suffering. That's not compassion. In the Word of God, compassion is a sympathetic feeling that produces action. So it's possible for you to feel bad about a situation and do nothing about it. You haven't had compassion. Because compassion is a sympathetic feeling that produces a redemptive action. These men were walking down the street, all excited to get into the presence of Jesus and listen to Him teach and watch Him heal people and do whatever it is that Jesus was going to do. And they saw the paralytic man and they came to a crisis of decision. They had to decide. Are they going to acknowledge? You know the head nod. Hi. You do that sometimes passing people. Hmm. Or are they not going to make eye contact at all? Look to the other side. Keep walking. (laughs) Or, I tell you, this one might sting because it stings me, okay? If I'm guilty of anything, it's this one. Walking by and saying, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. (laughs) Have you ever done that? No, no, no. Compassion is a sympathetic feeling that compels us. To do something about the person with which we feel bad for. That's compassion. That is compassion. And these men had it. Now, if you are interested in being used in the kingdom of God to do great things in the kingdom of God, listen, compassion not only has to be in your vocabulary, it has to be in your lifestyle. Think about God and the compassion that He has had on the humanity, on the human race, for year after year, since the beginning of creation, He's been compassionate. He has looked up on the broken state of people, and He's reached out, and He's healed lands, and He's sent prophets, and He's sent preachers, and He's sent leaders, and He's sent kings, and He's sent judges, and He sent Ernie... (laughs) Thank you, brother. God is compassionate. And we are to take on the character of God. And do I want you to live with conviction? Absolutely. I want you to see the world through the lens of Scripture. But I want you to live with compassion. I want to stop for a second and I want you to to meet a couple of world changers. 
what I want to do is um, is to share with you a ministry that is beginning by two guys here in the church because they're convinced that the people around this church need to know the Lord and God has put a compassion in their heart that not only do they see the need, but they're going to take steps to walk into that. And so uh, what's what's going to happen is that two guys from the church, uh, and our church is backing this. I don't want to just leave it. We, are, we together are doing this. But they're going to go out and start a ministry, start a little work at Avalon, where they just get together once a week uh, for 10 or 11 weeks. They just talk about things of the faith and give people that are not connected to a church a chance to hear from people who follow Jesus and ask questions and to learn about it. So uh, where's John and Roy? Surely they're here this morning. They better be here, John. Thank you. Where's Roy? Come on up, you guys, if you would. And I'm going to tell you, I, I told John I'm going to ask him four questions. I'm going to ask, these are the questions that I've asked him to just share with you. One, how did God open the door for these two guys to step out and to go be world changers? Two, what do you hope God would do through your work? Uh, Three, how can we all pray for you? Because that's how we're going to close today, is to pray for these men and the work that they're doing. Uh, And so answer those questions if you would. Okay, um, let's see if I get them right in order. But the important thing is, um, first of all, uh, I think... I, I have been feeling compelled for a while to um, bring the good news of Jesus over to the people at Avalon because I can't help but keep thinking that he dropped this 700 people in our lap and said, now go love these people. Now, in, in uh, feeling that way, I know I am not the only one who is, uh, who is here today who feels that way. But I was with uh, Roy uh, working at a place in, in Brockton in uh, November over at the Haven, and we got in a conversation, and he asked me about what's going on uh, over at Avalon. And in the course of that conversation, it became clear that Roy had the same heart. And, by the way, I'm not hogging the microphone. Roy told me he is not speaking under any circumstances. <laughs> so, however, so we... Okay, but anyway... It, it, so to me, that was confirmation that uh, you know we needed to put into action something that God had put on our hearts together. So because of that, um, we we um, contacted the management over at Avalon. I just want to say that we probably have 50 people sitting here in the congregation yeah. who, in one of the three events we had at Avalon in the past 18 months, were involved, and it was your planting of seeds mm. and loving our neighbors and watering that that brought us this trust from from the Avalon management because I called uh, Andre over there and said would it be okay if we came over and did a Bible study and I was in the back of my mind preparing to answer tons of questions and she said oh yeah that'd be great tell me when you want to do it and wow. so I can reserve the space and how you want me to promote it now, I just did not expect that kind of response. So that's, yeah. that, first of all, that tells you that we're just, you know, God's prepared the way. And he prepared the way through you and through our prayers. So thank you Amen. for that. Amen. So what do you hope to come out of this? Yes. Yeah, so what we hope to come out of it is that people are going uh, to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
And they're going to do it because they're going to be in an environment where they never would have walked in a church and been able to ask these questions. They're going to come and they're going to ask questions about faith and they're going to discover that there's a lot more to life than what they're experiencing now. And then that meaning is found through Jesus. Amen. So that's how we can pray specifically. So you can pray for us specifically for those people by name. Mm -hmm. And we will let people who have, uh, we'll let people know. uh, We'll do this with you know, some and you already got some right. people signed up, right? We have already got three yeah. people signed up already. We just started promoting this week, so praise God for that. Amen. Oh, okay. <laughs> praise God! Three people have signed up. Already. So now you so, know how I feel when you're yeah. looking for the response, right? So yeah. yeah, you can pray for them. Pray for that whole community. Pray for our, our community around us. That uh, you know, we just believe that this is just the start of the Holy Spirit working in our community. Wherever your community is working in our community to change people's lives, pray for us and everyone involved with it that we would keep our focus not on us and not on what we think is the wise thing to do, but on God's leading. Yeah. So let me ask you this question. Do either one of you have theological degrees? Uh, Roy does, right? Oh, I was counting on Roy. (laughs) No theological degrees? Have, have either one of you ever been the pastor of a church? Uh, no. No. I've read some stuff. You read some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the online ordination, right, Roy? <laughs> and yet, they're convinced. They have a conviction that God can use them. And I think that's a glorious thing, right? These men are standing before you. Because they're convinced that people around us, I mean, literally, you can see the, the sign through the windows of the church. They need ministry. And compassion has moved them from seeing it to doing something about it. And so I want you to thank them with claps. Would you just tell them thank you? You're not doing this for, for claps, I understand. But we thank you for being an example, first of all, for going, but also for being an example. Maybe you would be here today and you would say, well, God hasn't called me to go and be a world changer at Avalon. And I would just ask, then where? Right? Then where uh, has God called you to be a world changer? They're going to have a seat and I'm going to finish the message. We're going to pray over them at the end of our time together. But I just wanted you to hear from them because it's easy for me to say, these are the four C's uh, to everybody has if you're going to be a world changer. But I wanted you to hear from some people in the church that God is working in their heart. And they're putting these, these principles in practice and saying, I am going to go into the world and do something. I'm going to go into the world and be a world changer. And again, it may not be that God is specifically calling you to go to Avalon, but... But God wants to use you somewhere. Now, John, um, if they want to be involved, they can just reach out to you directly? Okay. All right. So, yeah, we'll, we'll make a way for you to connect uh, with John. So we'll pray for them before they go. And then also at the end of the service, we'll have John and Roy. And then we'll also gather around the community outreach team. They're going to come down and we're going to pray over them as they continue to show ways that we can reach out into our uh, community. So uh, that's how we'll end the service. But before we end the service, we have two more 
spaces for you to fill in in your note sheet. And so I want to share with you these last uh, two characteristics that we must have if we're going to be world changers, whether it's at Avalon or whether it's in our home or whether it's at our job. The third characteristic is that these men had a holy consistency. Here's what I mean by that. They picked this man up and they took him all the way to Jesus. Now, I know that just from looking at some of you that you you enjoy being at the gym and pumping the iron. You like working out. And you probably can lift a lot of weights. But I would venture to say if you had to pick up a grown man and carry him to Jesus, as strong as you might be, that probably would get a little tough. Now here's what I want you to think about. These men didn't just start to bring this man to Jesus. They finished. Consistency, in my opinion, is an important theological word. Because it talks about one of the most important characteristics that we must have as we love one another. But it also talks about a characteristic that God has demonstrated to us. This holy consistency. You see, in the Old Testament, the scripture talks about God being consistent. I'm reading to you out of Lamentations chapter 3. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. What does that mean? God is consistent with His love. There will not be a day that you will wake up this year or in all of your years past or in the future years that you will not be loved by God. He's consistent. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. He is consistently loving and merciful. There are new every morning. Great is the faithfulness of God. God's greatness, His mercy, His love is consistent to us. The New Testament talks about the consistency of the Lord as well. John chapter 13 says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, listen to this, He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. So we see that the characteristic of God in the Old Testament is consistent, and we see it in the New Testament is consistent. And let me say this to you. He not only is consistent to us, but He sees our consistency to Him. Many of us don't read Revelations because we're afraid of it. But there are some beautiful, beautiful thoughts in the book of Revelation. Close to the beginning, specifically in chapter 2, there's a place where Jesus writes some letters to the churches. And in in two separate places, Jesus, in His letters to the churches, He says, I have seen and I know your patient endurance. He's writing to the churches and He says, I see how you've been consistent. I see how you've never given up. 
I see how you've endured. I see how you've walked with me. I have seen your consistency in the world. My friend, holy consistency is important. I'm not a betting guy. But if I were, I would bet a lot of money on the fact that most of us did not receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior the first time that we heard the gospel. You see, somebody had to be consistent with us. They had to share truth and then walk with us in grace. Share truth and walk with us in grace. 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 Share truth over and over. And then finally one day it just dawned on us. And we gave our life to Christ. You may think, why to be a world changer do we need holy consistency? Because human beings are hurting and they're broken and they just need a godly person to be consistent in their life. To be consistently there. To be consistently loving. To be consistently truthful while they are consistently graceful. And to be consistently prepared to lead the person to Jesus. So what does it take to be a world changer? It takes conviction. It takes compassion. It takes consistency. These men didn't just pick him up and drop him halfway. They brought him all the way. And it takes redemptive and redeemed creativity. We mentioned this last week, that when they saw the problem, they didn't quit. They saw that all the people were there. They didn't quit. They said, what can we do to get this man to Jesus? And they got creative. You see, creativity is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. What that means is that both saved and non-saved, redeemed and unredeemed, living and dead in sin, all of us, because we are creatures of God, made in the image of God, we have the ability to be creative. And you have the awesome responsibility of choosing. How are you going to use your creativity? Are you going to use it for redemptive purposes? Are you going to use it for destructive purposes? But these men decided we're going to use it for redemptive purposes and we're not only going to be consistent, but we're going to be creative. And so as we're trying to serve God and we see these roadblocks, because when we try to serve God, that's what we see often as roadblocks. What are we going to do to overcome it? Because we're convinced he needs help. We're convinced that Jesus is the solution. We have compassion, so we're not going to stop. We're going to be consistent. But what do we do to get them there? They began to be creative. And isn't it true that God has been creative in our life and being gracious to us? And we're going to close our time this morning. We've heard from John and Roy, and they've shared with us the ministry that they're going to be doing that God has opened the door for them to do. And we're going to be praying that God would give them a high level of creativity. And as these people who have signed up and some more are going to sign up, we're going to be praying for them that the Lord would use these men in a great way. So in a moment, I'm going to have them come down. But also, when they come down, I'm going to ask our community outreach team 
to come and stand over here so that we can pray both for John and Roy, but also for the community outreach team as they continue to look into the community and say, what can we do to be creative and to share the love of God with the world around us? And that's how we're going to close today, with just a, with a family prayer time where we're praying together as a family. So John and Roy, would you come and just stand right here? And um, let me ask everybody to stand if you would as we get ready to close. And if you're on the community outreach team, would you come and stand over here? And I'm so sorry I haven't memorized yet who all is on the team. But come down if you don't mind and let us just pray for you as you continue to discern how it is that the Lord... Yeah, right over here if you would. And so let's bow and pray. And... What I want to ask is if you would be willing for the next 30 days to pray every day for the next 30 days for our community outreach team as they continue to seek the Lord and how we can go and and to serve the world around us. Would you just slip out from where you are and just come and gather around the team and just stand around them and pray. And also, if, if you would be willing and you don't come to this side, would you come and stand around John and Roy? Would you say, yes, I will make a commitment that I will pray every week on Tuesday nights for 11 weeks? Would you come and stand around John and Roy? And as soon as you come, just begin to pray. You can pray out loud. You can pray quietly, but just pray. And we want to surround them. And we want to stand with them. And as they pray, you may be standing and and really not knowing what to do because the Lord is working in your heart. And so as they pray, let me just speak to you for a second. Maybe this morning you know that it is time for you to surrender your life to Jesus. It is time for you to be a world changer, but you know that you've never really given your life to Christ. And that that's a step that you want to take today. You can take that step right where you are standing. You can say to the Lord, Lord, I know that I'm rebelled against you. I know that I've alienated myself from you. I want to come under your authority. I want to receive your forgiveness. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your sacrifice. I don't want to just believe in you. I want to follow you. I want to know the life that you can give me as I put my faith in you. Maybe that's the prayer that you need to be praying this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and God is calling you to serve in ministry. You know, a lot of times we think that God only calls the young to ministry. But you may be here this morning 
And you may not consider yourself young, but yet you sense God calling you to do more in ministry. And if that's you, we want to help you. We want to train you. We want to empower you to be who it is that God wants you to be. So if you sense that God is calling you into the ministry, I'm going to encourage you to contact me so that we can talk about the next steps. What a beautiful moment that you've allowed us to be a part of, Lord. To pray over the team in our church that is searching for ways for us to be world changers. For us to stand with in prayer, John and Roy, as they prepare to go out in full conviction and compassion and with consistency and with creativity, love people well and lead them to you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for the beautiful spirit of unity that you bless us with. Thank you for what you do among us. We are so honored that you make your presence known to your children. We love you. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you're here at the front, you uh, can go back and to where you were. If it's hard to get in, if you just want to sit on the edges, you certainly can. David's going to come and lead us into our offering time.